Thank you very much. We have only an extremely short time, of course, for each of the speakers, and there are literally years' worth of things I'd like to talk over with you. So I'm going to use a few pictures in order to, you know, say a thousand words in one flash. And those who, and there are a good many of you who can't see the screen, I suggest, since this will be brief, and since a good bit of what I have to say is in pictures, I recommend that you get up and migrate toward the back of the room where you get a view of the screen. In 10 or 12 minutes, you can sit down again on both sides, okay? So while you're doing that, let's uh, begin to pick up. And somewhere we have machinery here. Very good. Okay. Uh, here in a big state, halfway across the state, over into West Texas, there are mountains, believe it or not, the front range of the Rocky Mountains. And out there, we have the McDonald Observatory of the University of Texas, one of the world's major observatories, with two very large telescopes. It's a wonderful sight, one of the reasons being that it's totally free of light pollution. Nobody but the coyotes live out there, and for astronomers, that is wonderful. So. Uh, there's another point, though, I wanted to begin with, and really the basic topic for today is why does anyone want to build big telescopes? The answer is fundamentally this. Imagine that you were out uh, wandering in the desert and been out three or four days maybe and, you know, awful thirsty, no water, just on the edge of death, and suddenly a rainstorm comes up. And being very smart, you turn your head up and open your mouth and some drops of water come in. That's great, isn't it? But if you're a little bit smarter, what will you do? You'll find a way to make a funnel and collect the water over a larger area and funnel that into your mouth. Well, fundamentally, that's all a telescope is. A telescope is a bucket for collecting light. And what is light? Well, light is the essentially the only way that we get information from the universe. Our source of information comes in the form of photons of light, each one bearing a particle of information. And the most distant objects in the universe that we study, even though they're indescribably brilliant, luminous, they're so far away, light taking billions of years to get to us, that when the light reaches us here on the Earth, even the biggest telescopes may collect that light at the rate of just, you know, a photon every second or two, even though your eyes, even in this dimly lit room, are seeing millions of photons every second. So, point is, for astronomers, collecting light is the name of the game. And telescopes are buckets for collecting light. And here is a case where bigger is better. The bigger the bucket, other things being more or less equal, the better the astronomy that can be done with it. Okay, now with that as the basic ground rule, you might say, well, let's look at the progression of astronomy and see what's happened. Would you believe that the world's first big telescope was built almost exactly 200 years ago in England by Sir William Herschel? It was about a 50-inch telescope. That was just after the American Revolution. You'd think by now astronomers would, you know, starting from there, would have telescopes thousands of inches in size, but no way. It wasn't until the First World War, until 1917, that astronomers built the first much bigger telescope. That was a 100-inch at Mount Wilson. Many great breakthroughs made with that telescope. And then uh, the 200-inch, uh, you know when that was conceived and designed and funded? It was in the reign of Calvin Coolidge, and there are hardly any people in this room who remember who he is, unless you had an American ancient history course. Uh, Calvin Coolidge, 1920s. That was when the 200-inch was basically kicked off. Sure, it took 20-odd years to build it. It wasn't finished until 1949, but that was still more than 30 years ago. In fact, 40 years ago now. And, uh, and the point is that... Uh, 49, 30, yeah, 30 years ago, okay. Anyway, <laughs> arithmetic is difficult this hour of the morning. Uh, the important point, though, is that you would think that that being the greatest telescope in the world and being so ancient would long since 
have had bigger and better telescopes built by astronomers, but the answer is it wasn't done. However, here is a glimpse of that magnificent telescope. Still the greatest one in the world. Now, question. Why is it that nobody has built a bigger telescope than the 200-inch in all these years, or a better one anyway? There are two fundamental reasons and a lot of lesser ones. We don't have time for all of them. The main reason is simply that it was very expensive. It would cost somewhere probably in the 40 to 100 million dollar range to pick a mountain and build a duplicate of the 100 inch today, of the 200 inch today, copying those plans. That's a lot of money, even in this day of big science. Also, the technology was so advanced in this, the world's first really great scientific instrument, that for a long time people believed it was just about impossible ever to build a bigger telescope, at least it would really work. So the net result was, for this and other reasons, that nothing happened for a long, long time. Actually, there was an attempt to build a bigger telescope than the 200-inch, and indeed it was carried through to completion. Shortly after the First World War, the Second World War, the Russians decided that they must have the biggest telescope in the world, so they built a 240-inch. It took them 25 years to carry out the project. The total cost was a goodly fraction of a billion dollars and it's not a very good telescope. It's been in operation for about four years. It has many infirmities. It's produced essentially no useful science in four years, and it probably will produce very little in its lifetime. We don't have time to go into the reasons for that. But uh, it was effectively an unsuccessful attempt to build a, a bigger telescope than the 200-inch. Now, the point is that the time has come when the world needs and should have at least one, and preferably several, telescopes in the new class. But how are we going to do this? Well, uh, what do we mean, first of all, by a bigger class? The largest telescope we have at the McDonald Observatory is shown by the yellow ring. That's 107 inch. It was third largest in the world when we finished it in 1969. Uh, however, the 200 inch, you see with the, uh, the middle gray or brownish circle, the lighter gray one is the Russian 240 inch. And then we're proposing to build a 300 inch telescope at McDonald Observatory in the next few years. That would be the large red ring. You can see how rapidly the area, the light gathering power of the telescope mirror, uh, the light bucket, increases with the size. And also, the enormity of the project goes up very rapidly. But once again, basic question, why is it expensive to build big telescopes? Well, if you're sitting where you can actually see this, as a few of you are, here's a graph that shows the cost of telescopes as a function of their size. It's a log-log graph in the sense that if you take the slope of that, it turns out that the cost of telescopes goes up very nearly with the cube of their size. Start out with a given size and design, make the telescope twice as big, say make a 100 inch into a 200 inch. It doesn't cost twice as much, it costs two times two times two, eight times as much, and that's pretty expensive. So somehow you want to try to break off that curve. Now, the clue to where to go lies in this graph, which shows the weight of telescopes as a function of their size, existing telescopes. And the uh, uh, I'm sorry, but these graphs are where I can't see them. The previous one was weight, and this one is cost, but the, the point is just the same. The, uh, the point here is that telescopes get heavier with the cube of their aperture, and the cost tends to go up approximately with the cube of the aperture. So the key to making a giant telescope relatively inexpensive is to make it very lightweight. Okay, how do you make a telescope lightweight? Well, the problem here has to do with the fact that the light bucket consists of a thin film of aluminum in a perfect shape accurate to about a millionth of an inch that collects the light. That weighs a couple of ounces. But to support that film, you have it on a backing of glass. And that glass, in the case of the Russian telescope, weighs 50 tons, solid glass. 
and then that has to be supported by a massive cell and tomb and mountain all. The Russian telescope weighs about 700 tons. It's like a naval frigate up on bearings, able to be pointed all over the sky. You see why it costs so much. Well, we propose to cut the weight of this telescope down to about 100 tons by making the mirror exquisitely thin. And that can be done in ways I don't have time to go into. We also propose to cut the cost by making the dome very, very small. Now, what's the dome got to do with it? Well, the Russian telescope is not quite, but it's crowding the size of the Astrodome down in Houston. And they did this for several wrong reasons. But uh, the point is that if you compare the sizes of some existing domes, you'll see our McDonald 107 inch the lower left, the 200 inch in the upper left, the Russian 240 inch in the upper right, and the 300 inch telescope will be in a dome which is actually in some ways smaller than our 107 inch. Now the dome cost is approximately equal to the telescope cost in these projects. So again, by making the dome very, very small, just basically enough to shelter and hold the telescope and the main uh, research instruments. Again, enormous savings. Orders of a factor of 10 can be realized. So the name of the game is to cut the cost of modern giant telescopes, not by factors of two times, but 10 times. To cut the cost of a 300-inch project from several hundred million dollars down to a few tens of millions of dollars. In doing that, it comes back into the realm of what can be done with private philanthropy. Most telescopes have been built in this country, making U.S. the world leader in astronomy by private philanthropy. And also within the realm of what a state, at least like Texas, can uh, contemplate doing. So this is the, the direction we're going. Now, uh, very briefly, the mirror will be enormous in size, but very thin. The telescope, instead of being these enormous castings that one has seen on previous telescopes, it will be a lightweight space frame, which by modern computer design will be stronger and better. The length of the telescope will be so short that a very small dome will contain it all, and the entire instrument then will fit in this building which rotates with the telescope. And by these devices, the cost will be kept down to about a tenth of what it otherwise would be. Now, just a few moments left to say something about what how one would do with it, why one wants a telescope like this. There are innumerable frontiers in astronomy. The more we learn about the universe, the more mysteries we uncover. One of the great ones is exactly how stars are born. Stars, of course, are the principal, in number at least, luminous objects making up the universe. But their birth is hidden down inside cocoons of dark, dusty matter. We can penetrate those cocoons with infrared light. The 300-inch telescope will be by far the world's best infrared telescope, able to drill through the shrouding clouds and will be able to watch, in effect, the process of star birth, which is now, in many ways, still a mystery. Or the process of star death. There are fantastic things here I don't have time to tell you about, but the great light-gathering power of the telescope will allow us to watch the dying stages of stars when they become cannibals of each other, in some cases, for example. But primarily, the great new telescope will study the extragalactic universe, the galaxies that are enormous pinwheels of billions of stars, uh, our own sun, of course, being one star in our own Milky Way galaxy. But the point is that the science or the astronomy of galaxies is just getting underway in a serious way. They're so far away, most of them, so hard to see, so hard to study, so hard to, to analyze the chemical composition as a function of radius, things like this, which tell us their evolution that we've got to have the light-gathering power of a great ground-based telescope. And in particular, uh, the telescope will study quasars. All of you know the term. A quasar is an object out at the, well, the nearest one is the order of a billion light-years away. 
but typically they're of the order of five or ten billion light years away. They're the most luminous objects in the universe, shining with a brightness of up to a thousand galaxies, all packed into one super compact little object. And they shine uh, in this way for at least millions of years, probably billions of years. No one knows the energy source. It's one of the great mysteries of modern astronomy. And furthermore, these are the markers that give us the geometry or the, the structure of the universe in the large. And some very exciting work done with the biggest, one of the biggest telescopes on Earth, just finished a few months ago, and not yet in published form, indicates that already with existing telescopes, we think we begin to see the edge of the universe in the sense that we're finding quasars so far away and then suddenly no more beyond that. It's beginning to look as though we're seeing back to, we're seeing objects so far away that the light left them when the universe was so young that if we tried to look any farther away, we would be looking so far back in time that not even quasars existed yet. But again, present telescopes are just big enough to nibble at that problem, and we need one that can really tackle it. Well, I could go on for hours about the things the telescope can and will do, but these are samples of some of the problems. But in particular, there's the question of black holes. Do they really exist? For those of you off in the corner, this is the world's first detailed photograph of a black hole. Uh, it's going to take a lot of telescope power of all kinds to study those things. Okay, just in wrapping up, the McDonald Observatory was founded about 50 years ago, and its first great telescope was the 82-inch. It was second largest in the world then. It was dedicated in 1939 to understanding stellar evolution, and it made enormous strides in that. It's still one of the world's great telescopes, still in operation every night of the year. The 107-inch we dedicated in 1969 primarily to planetary studies to help NASA uh, pioneer its way into the solar system. It's done that and a great deal more. Now, the 300-inch telescope, we hope to dedicate that in somewhere period in 1986 to 1989, and we want to dedicate it to understanding galaxies, quasars, and the universe, and I predict it will do those things. The, uh, one of our speakers last night, this is the last thing I have to leave with you, said something like, uh, that which is accomplished in the world is done by ideas of individuals which then get translated into reality. I'm paraphrasing, that's not the exact words, but that's the sense. And this is an idea that we've been developing here for years. We think the time has come for it to reach fruition. We know how to do it, we have designs, we have everything except some of the money. And that minor matter we're working on and we think we'll solve that problem within the next couple of years. We have a dream, and we think it's going to work. Thank you very much.